We're going to be in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Hebrews, chapter 10. Um, I realize it's not in the bulletin. I apologize for that. I, I feel like I can never come up with titles. Not that you need them, but I didn't bother. <laughs> Hebrews, chapter 10. Yep, Hebrews, chapter 10. And where did my Bible go? i got to borrow one now. I think it's back there. But Hebrews, chapter 10. And I'm scanning for it. There should be one down here, right, a Bible? Isn't there one down there? Yeah, thank you. So, we, um, we're very familiar, I think a lot of us are familiar with what we're going to read, and a lot of scripture, because most of us, or a lot of us, have read a good portion of scripture, if we've been Christians for some time, but it's another familiar passage, but I just want to pull some things out and just encourage us, us, encourage us and challenge us today um, with the word in Hebrews chapter 10. And the title of my message is, is called... It's under new management, under new management. Um, let's read our text, and then we'll, uh, we'll dive in. Verse 19 in Hebrews chapter 10 to verse 25, so those, those six verses. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Verse 24, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And uh, praise God. Amen. Word of God there. And um, some of us are familiar with, with the scripture, some of us are not, but um, we'll go through and hopefully we'll get some clarity as to what the writer is trying to get across. Um, have you ever gone to like Walmart or go shopping somewhere and you go to get your, say, your favorite box of cereal <clears throat> and you go to the shelf and you get that box of cereal and uh, lucky, Ryan goes to get his Lucky Charms and he, uh, he's, on, he's on, looking at the shelf and he sees that on the box it says new and improved. And he's like, what? But I like the way it was, you know? But no, so the, you see a lot of these things with products that come out. They're, they're new and improved um, new flavor, or every time I go to the battery center at Walmart, all the batteries, they, every single one of them from all the manufacturers have a little thing on there, and it says, 20, last 25% longer, and then there's an asterisk. Yeah. It's like, okay, compared to what? You know, so then you got to read the fine print. But they're always improving and making better. And a lot of times with these products and food being in particular food if you get if you've been eating something and you go and you it says new and improved or new flavor if you look at the ingredients i will no i'm not going to put money down i will just say that you most often than not you more often than not you will you will see that the ingredients have not changed at all it's all about marketing well it's been 10 years so new and improved Let's change that tone of red or that hue a little bit different on that packaging, and it's, it's new and improved. Like, and the inside is still the same. 
and everything goes on as it was, and they're making your money. And they made it one ounce smaller, by the way, but you didn't notice that because it's doing improved. So all these marketing things, we, we see them all the time. Um, better flavor. And they're, all, they're always, you know, changing, trying to change, trying to drum up business. And sometimes improvements and new things certainly do exist. In some cases, it's purely nothing but marketing. But for example... There are, there's definitely newness and well, improvement, for sure, with automobiles. Like, right? So can you imagine, like, the cars now, like, like Model T versus, like, a brand new, you know, whatever out there now? Like, what a difference. The safety, the technology, the everything that, that's available there is unbelievable. Even from 10 years ago, the safety of cars is through the roof of all how to design them, all the technology involved to keep us safe. It's absolutely incredible. So there's certainly improvement and things are better and new that come into play there. Um, for those of you who might not have noticed and you live in the area, but you haven't ventured out about three miles into Hope Valley, I know that's far. Um, <laughs> But, but there's, there's a restaurant there. It's called Billy Hills. And um, it's kind of not doing anything right now. It's See? You didn't know? It's closed. Now, it closed a couple weeks ago. Yay. That's not right. Hey. So they closed. Now, listen. I, it's not about putting dirt on somebody or putting someone down. It's not the point. The point is, is that... You know, you see signs, there's, there's signs out there, they want to do something new with it or renov- close renovations. Like, see, that's another thing. That's another sign that is saying, just wait for it, wait for it, it's going to be better, wait for it, it's coming, just, it's going to entice you, it's making you wait. Now, I don't know what happened there, nobody seems to know, except it didn't seem to go down very nicely, but the way things happen, but they're not in business right now, all right? Have you ever driven by a, a storefront or other, even a restaurant and there's a big banner out front and it says, under new management? You've, we've all seen that, right? And the expectation is, and oftentimes, that something's going to be different about it for sure because it's new management a lot of times. The personality of it or maybe how they, they could do business or whatever it is, how they, the services. But the whole idea is, is that it's, meant to bring you in so that you expect something better. That it's a better experience, that it's a better product, that it's better service. It's new management, it's fresh blood, it'll be better, it's more efficient, more effective, it's new. And under new management is used all the time in, in all these businesses and, and hopefully it brings people in and that there is the idea it's the idea that things are going to be done differently, better, more effectively, and efficient. And Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, is all about this concept, believe it or not. That things would be done better. In fact, it would be done the best way possible for our relationship with God and our access to God. That's what Hebrews is all about. Our salvation and our access to God and how that came about. It's under new management, that whole system of how we come to God. And it should be the settling thing. This, 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 this new management should settle everything, but still we struggle and people struggle with not wanting to come under new management. And we'll get back to that later on as well. Let me give you a little more context. The author of Hebrews, we don't know. Some people say it's Paul. Some people say it might have been Peter. Some parts of it, other Paul. Who knows? We don't know for sure. There's the stylistically and different things. We can't dwell on that. The point is, it's in the canon. It's an inspired scripture. And... What's there is indicative of, of what's consistent throughout all of Scripture theologically. 
And it's a deep, powerful book. When you start reading Hebrews, it's amazing. And you, you, a lot of history, uh, a lot of the Jewish laws, a lot of priesthood stuff about the sacrifice. It's unbelievable what you'll find in there. But we just, we don't know who wrote it, okay? But we do know this, for sure, that it's written to believers. I can tell you that based on verse 19. Verse 19 in chapter 10 that we read, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, or brethren... Now, you wouldn't call, when you're talking about God and salvation and living the Christian life and all the, 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 the process of coming up to salvation through Christ that's outlined in the book of Hebrews, um, you wouldn't call people you're writing brothers and sisters if they weren't in the faith. So we know that they're Christians, they're believers. Not only that, throughout the, the book of Hebrews, they're also called beloved. That's another thing. Beloved by God. Beloved by also the author. They're in the same family. But listen to this one. I love this one. This is a, this is a whole sermon. As I hear this, this is a whole other thing. Partakers of the heavenly calling is what they're called. Man, you want to... i, I, I got to stay on track. That is an unbelievable title and name to carry. That I am a partaker of the heavenly calling. And not even that, even more specifically and more clearly, it's they're also called partakers of Christ. Man, if you just knew, that's another one. If that we are partakers of Christ. He lives in us, but, we're, but even more, we're partakers of Christ. And that his divine nature is in us. We're not, we're not Jesus's, but all right, I'm getting off on a tangent. Partakers of Christ, they're definitely believers. Amazing, amazing, amazing titles, and they're called amazing names um, that demonstrate that they're believers. And the purpose of the writer was to demonstrate that the, the superiority of Christ, that Christ is at the top, there's no one above him, everything in all of creation in the universe is below him. He is preeminent. There is nothing, no one, anything that is above Christ. He is the highest. He is the ultimate. Colossians, Paul writes about that in Colossians chapter 1 and chapter 2. There is no one but Jesus at the top, and he's looking down at everyone and everything else. He is God. He is awesome. He's amazing. He's powerful. He's all-knowing. Every attribute that we know that God has, Jesus has that. And, And it demonstrates the superiority of Christ, and what he has done in comparison... This is really important to the Old Testament sacrificial system. Now, most of us just don't sit down and study the Old Testament sacrificial system and how sacrifices were brought, how sins were atoned for. We may have learned about it, we might know about it, but just if you want to get into that, it is super intense because of the detail involved in the sacrificial system, what you had to do to be right with God, to have access to God. There was so much involved that it's, it's crazy. I was talking to Gary Bowden after service. It's like it took a whole day just to get access to God for one person. All the preparations, all the sacrifices, doing things right, the right process, going to the right person, buying it from the right person, your sac- all, just all this stuff. It was a day-long project just to have access to God, and even then, through a priest. It was unbelievable, okay? So... It, this, it, Hebrews shows that Christ is way above that and better. Now, someone said, I don't remember where it was, but somebody said, and I think it's fitting, they said that, that it was written by a Hebrew to the Hebrews so the Hebrews would stop acting like Hebrews. Now, let me explain that. It's really important. It's a tongue-in-cheek kind of thing, I guess, but listen, it's really important. These Hebrews that are being written to, 
They're all, for whatever reason, just like in Galatians and Colossians and other epistles, over and over again, are slipping back into Jewish rites and rituals. That's what they're doing. That's why Hebrews is written. They keep going back to this stuff. And they can't get away from it. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's pressure from the religious leaders. And, and this is walking the grace, not in the law. Don't walk in this stuff that, that is keeping you down. And so many of them were slipping back to escape persecution. Not necessarily from the government that wasn't God-fearing, but from the religious leaders even. That's how intense it was. And so it was written so the, by Hebrew to the Hebrews, so the Hebrews would stop acting like Hebrews. It's time to move on with Jesus. And the key word in Hebrews is better. It's a key word. One of the key words and concepts is better. And, and more specifically, that Jesus is better. If he's better, he's better. Okay, There's no other way to say it. He's just better than the Old Testament system. And he's the one who, again, is high above everything else, and he's better than that old system. So the author spends time building his argument in all the previous chapters, even before this, for the superiority of Christ and the position that we have as believers and that the believer has in him. An amazing position. And on the basis of Christ's sacrifice that he died and rose again for us, for our sins, the writer exhorts his readers to make the most of the blessing that has been won for them. We're more than conquerors. He has done it all. And Hebrews says on more than one occasion, before our passage in the previous chapters and even after, that Jesus Christ died once for all time. And he was the priest that is qualified because of what he's done. And that it's, it's once and for all. He's the eternal priest. He's the great priest. It's done. It's over what he did. Make the most of the blessing and the access you have to God. Here's the thing. In our text, in verse 19, it says, Brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, and then we'll get into it in a second. He says, let us draw near. But we have a new way of coming to God. There is a new, there is a better way of coming to God. Now, going back to the sacrificial system, we are so far removed historically, from the idea that you would have to sacrifice an animal without being graphic, and I'm trying to be nice with my terms, sacrifice an animal and take its blood, and, and it's part of how your sins are forgiven. You had to do that. I mean, you brought it, and the priest did. You had to do that. You, you, you and the, the process involved. We are, we, that is so foreign to us. We don't understand that. We don't get that. You know, when we use the word sacrifice, it's like, we're giving something up. It's energy, time, money, whatever, you know, different things, blood, sweat, and tears, you know, blah, blah, blah. We do, right? we do all that. But the idea that you had to do this on a regular basis, we have no concept. We can't relate to this at all. You have no idea. You can't relate. I can't relate. I don't care what you try to tell me. You don't get it. You read about it. You understand it. But we cannot relate to this. The idea that you would have to get up regularly or get yourself together and your family, for your family, for your own sins and make sacrifices, bring sacrifices, and do X, Y, and Z in such a way, or else it wouldn't please God, we are removed from that. That was the way it was. And Jesus comes, and when he comes, and in verse 19 he says, we now have confidence. So now coming to God, the attitude before was fear. Because you don't want to miss out. 
And you don't want to miss a step in the process. You want to make sure you did the right thing. Bought, as I mentioned earlier, bought the, the, the sacrificial official animal from the right vendor and so on and so forth and, and all the good things that are involved there. It was, there was fear involved. God's holy and I can't, I can't approach him and I can only do it through the priest. And there's this fear of being struck down. And they had seen how God had done that as a punishment in that time. And it happened many times, by the way. Fear was the attitude. And it was intrepidation that you didn't want to really approach. But now, we come with confidence. He says, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Not the blood of bulls and animals, other animals and goats and, and pigeons and whatever else was used to sacrifice. We come because of the blood of Jesus. And now the new attitude we approach to, in God, and we come to God with a new attitude which is confidence. We're bold. There's boldness. Let me just say, it's confidence. It, you come confidently, but not casually. You come confidently, but not casually. And you know that because of what Jesus did. And you have full confidence. You don't come in, oh, hey, God, what's up? And you, know, and you just go in there with all. He knows everything about you, but you still come knowing. Remember, he's up here above everything else. So you don't just come to him like any other person. It doesn't work that way. Yes, we have relationship. Yes, we have access. But we come with an attitude of confidence, not because of what we've done, not because of what we've said or professed, but because of what Jesus already did. And his blood covered this. See, again, we're removed. The atoning, that his blood, it covers over our sin. And when, when God looks at our sin, he doesn't see it. He sees that it's clean as a whistle because Jesus covered it all by his sacrificial death every single time. Now, I know it's hard for us to grasp sometimes, especially because of the context and we're historically removed, but it's so important to understand. We come, it's a better way to come to God. Our attitude is not fear, but now our attitude is confidence. Amen? I love that. We can go. I mean, our kids exhibit this. They have confidence. There is a fear, the healthy fear that comes along with that confidence, that respect that comes there. But they come confident to, to us with requests and, and, and comments and whatever else they want to tell us on our heart. They come confidently, don't they? Sometimes too confidently. And we got to remind them who daddy and who mommy is. Maybe that's just me. But, but, but we do, right? It's, it's just Cohen. Okay, um, so we got to remind them. Um, but it's all over. It's un- Listen, sin is done. And it doesn't have to manage our lives. Because we are under new management. I'm glad 20 of you know that. Sin doesn't have to manage your life because we're under new management. Amen. I mean, it's an awesome thing. I mean, we don't have to walk around in that pattern of sin. doesn't even have to be perfect. We're moving toward that. But we are under the management of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, Jesus, and His Lordship. And He's the head of the church, and He guides us, and He shows us, and He reveals to us what to do and how to live. And... Don't try to do yourself. We'll get to that too. And the manager is the only and perfect mediator between us and God. Can no longer be a priest that's somewhere in Israel. It can, it can no longer be a priest that's somewhere in a church down the road. It doesn't work that way. We have direct access now 
There's a new attitude we come with confidence. But there's a new approach, and that new approach is the veil of Jesus Christ himself. Verse 20 says, By a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And this isn't a picture, and it's going back, and it's an allusion to the, the curtain in the temple between the holy place and the holy of holies. And there's this huge, huge, heavy curtain, this, this tapestry, and it was, it was woven there. And again, how God wanted it, and how it was designed by God, ultimately, it's what it was separating everyone from God's presence on the Ark of the Covenant. And listen, the only way that anyone could go there, if you remember this, for those of you who know, maybe some of you don't, you can only go there, and there was only one person permitted to go there only one time a year. To make sacrifice and to go into the Holy of Holies. And even when that priest went in, on his cloak or on his robe, he had little bells. Then they had a rope. Because in case he died, they would pull him out. Now why would he die? Because God is holy. And God is God. And to be in his presence, it was fearful. It was awesome. It was kind of, it was scary. And he went in and he made sacrifice once a year. Now listen. That, that curtain, when Jesus died... That curtain was torn. Matthew records. It was recorded from the, uh, ripped from the top to the bottom. It was torn in two. Providing access. There's no separation now between the holy place and the holy of holies. It's all access direct right there now. And it's through Jesus. That curtain and Jesus, his body, was a picture of the fact that it's through Christ. That his, his body that was broken for us. That it was pierced through. That he was hung on the cross for us. That through him and what he did, we have access direct to God. It's a whole new approach. The approach is direct. It's not through someone. Okay, but wait a minute. Jesus is who we go through. But yes, it's direct. You don't have to go and get this and that and that. You just go right to him. Go right to him. There are conditions, but you go right to him. And there are expectations, I should say. But you go right to him. And you, you access God right through Jesus himself, who is, he's the believer's high priest. He's our high priest, and he intercedes on our behalf all the time. Hebrews talks about that as well. Listen, so I have a confession to make, and maybe you can relate to this. Um, and it frustrates me, because I was, I was preparing this, and I was thinking last night, actually. It hit me last night. I couldn't stop thinking about it. The priest is able to go right into God's presence once a year. Direct access once a year. Okay? Jesus dies. And we have confidence because he cleanses us and forgives us for everything past, present, and future by faith. And we have this assurance and we're, we can go like his children because we are. Because John 1.12 says that if we've received him and we believed in his name, he gave us the right to be called the children of God. And we go right in and we're just at Papa's throne, right? But how many times do I... All the work for a whole year, making sure you did everything right, then going through the process to protect yourself with the bells and the rope and making sure you did this, prepare to sacrifice right, and then you sneak in there behind that curtain to be in God's presence on behalf of the whole nation once a year. And I think about myself. And I've been given this instant access at any time, anywhere, and sometimes I struggle to directly access God on a daily basis. Like the way he really wants. Do I talk to God? Yeah, but I mean to really go in there and to be with him and to spend time with him and to take advantage. And that's what the author of Hebrews is exhorting us to do. 
we have we should enter confidently or boldly because we have this access because of what Jesus did. Sometimes, unfortunately, maybe for even some of you, it's once a year. But it's so much more than that. This whole way is better because it shows how much God wants a relationship with you. Not through someone, but directly go right to him. And he wants your relationship now. He loves you so much that he made a better way with Jesus of coming to him. And since this is how God is approached with confidence and through Jesus, we need to come in a way that shows that we believe, really believe that Christ is better. You know how we show that we believe that Christ is better and that he is the best way to go to God? Thirteen times in the book of Hebrews, you find this little, little two words, let us. Let us. It's like a command. It's not a suggestion. It's like, let us. Come on, we got to do this. What are you waiting for? Let's go do this. And right off the bat, in verse 22, he says, since we have this priest over the house of God, since we have Jesus and his blood, and we have this confidence, he says, let us draw near to God. Draw near to God. We neglect that so often, and we have that access, and we don't draw near to God. We're all guilty of that. We miss out on that. We don't make sure, or we don't, we, don't, we don't intentionally make the effort to, on a regular basis, daily, go right in and have direct access to God and spend time with Him. Three things the writer exhorts us that we should do. Draw near to God. With a sincere heart, he says. You don't just draw near to God. You come with a sincere heart. God wants that relationship. And it's outlined in Scripture this way. Have that heart that's true, that's transparent, that's pure. In Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, Jesus says that the pure in heart will what? Anybody remember? All right, yes. Well, that's cheating. You're in first service. No, 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 I'm kidding. The pure in heart will, I'm teasing, the pure in heart will see God. Do you want to see God? I mean, by faith. I mean, being in his presence. That you see God, the pure in heart. You got it. You can't. Yes, you come confidently. Yes, you go through Jesus. And we have that access. And he lets us. But we, we, have, to, we have to make the step and go towards God. We use, a, we use the phrase a lot of times that we, we have to press into God. And we go and you go and you go with a heart that is, that is pure, that's transparent. You're not hiding anything. You're just you the way you are. God knows it all anyway. And don't try to pretend. Just go. And then draw with a heart that is full of assurance. In a pure and a heart that is full of assurance, it's complete trust that what Jesus did grants you direct access to his throne, to his feet, and to his heart. Just go. In Hebrews chapter 4, earlier, it's already mentioned, and we're exhorted that we should boldly come to the throne room of grace so that we might find mercy from God. That we should go there on a regular basis. And we have this innocence and purity of heart because Jesus has sprinkled our conscience with his blood. I'm pointing to my head, but your conscience is really, I mean, it's here, but it's here where you really, it it, kind of, it's in your spirit. It judges you and it tells you if you're right or wrong. And, And we have guilty ones because with the law and without Jesus, we were, it needed a lot of sprinkling. But Jesus sprinkled it once, and it, the guilt is gone, the shame is gone. And it's a powerful picture, and, and here it is. Jesus cleanses our evil conscience by his own blood. And again, this is by faith, because of God's grace, and management of the sacrificial system through its abolishment. There was guilt all the time. What if you missed a sacrifice? 
What if you bought it from the wrong place? Well, you're guilty or you're trying to hide or you're pretending or you're not sincere and you still bring a blemished thing to the priest and he's got to check it out and then, oh, can't take that. All this stuff, but now we go right to God. James 4.8 says, come near to God and he will come near to, he'll come near to you. Doesn't say come near to God and until you do all these things, then he might think about coming close to you. He says, draw near to God and he'll come right near to you. Wash your hands, though. This is the second part. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. There's also a warning there. You don't just come casually to God. There is a conviction. There is this idea that you understand that God is awesome and you're not. And you've got to have a pure heart and your conscience cleansed. Come near to God and he'll come to you. So come to God. Come to your Redeemer. Talk directly to your healer. Ask for mercy and guidance and provision and whatever is on your mind and heart and come confidently and purely. Listen, don't try to impress God and hide behind something because He sees right through every mask. He sees right through every act. He knows who you are. So let us draw near to God because we have this confidence and this new approach through Jesus. Secondly, we have to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful in verse 23. See, hope is the confident expectation that we'll get what God said we would have. What are some things God has said we would have? Eternal life. That we would have an actual physical visual of who he is when he returns again. Isn't that, is it a hope for that, a second coming? The hope for Israel, that they would be saved, that is something that is expressed through the New Testament. It's God's heart, His people. That it's a hope we have because God is faithful to His word, right? We, have, we hope in a lot of things. And our hope rests on the word of God. We cling to what He says, and we have history to bolster our unswerving profession of faith that Jesus is the Son of God and He's the way to God. From prophecies to miracles, history shows that God is faithful to his word. What do we hope for? I ask again. What do you hope for? What does the Bible tell us to hope for? It's all those things we mentioned, and Paul's mentioned even more as we come to the end of time, that we would come before God and see him face to face, and that our salvation is drawing nigh. See, our hope rests on the character of God. It's not just the word of God, but it's on the character of God, because God is faithful to his word. And, I, and, and he never breaks a promise. You know, in Revelation, as time is ending, as, as, as the, the prophecy goes, and as John shows us, as he is shown by the Spirit, in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, he says this. This is what he writes. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, there was a white horse. And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. That's his name. It's Jesus. On this white horse coming down, the faithful and true one. He said he would come back when he ascended before the day of Pentecost with his disciples. He went to heaven, promised the Spirit. And he said, I'm going to come back in the same way. And he's going to come back because his name is faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war, it says. He is faithful and true. God is not like us. We break promises, we're uncommitted, we change our minds often. Oh, I'm tired, I won't do this. I'm lazy, I won't do that. I, mean, that's, I, mean, I get it, right? We, we all do that. But God doesn't do that. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't get lazy. He doesn't get bored. He doesn't, I mean, he is consistent through and through. He's faithful. And the Psalms declare that loudly, if you read the Psalms. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. That's Jesus. And Hebrews 12, 2 says that. He's the author and finisher of our faith. If he started it, he's faithful. He'll finish it. 
He's also the great shepherd in chapter 13 and verse 20. He'll guide us all the way. So let us hold unswervingly. Hold on to the hope you have. That expectation that's given to you by the Spirit of God and the promises of the Word of God that you will have what He promised and hold on to that unswervingly because God's faithful. Even when it gets tough, don't give up. Hold on to the hope. It's all hope, you know, hope that keeps you going, hope for the future, hope for something you'll get. Hope drives us more than we all want to, I mean, think about that. It drives us. It drives us as Christians because our hope is in the right person, Jesus Christ. And finally, he says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, we had this confidence, we had this new approach. So we should draw near to God and take advantage of that as much as we can. Not just when we feel like it, but as much as we can. And then let us hold on to that hope because God's faithful. But we should also let us, he says, we should consider how we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And he goes on in verse 25, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, how we could spur one another on. It's a very interesting word. Um, And it works, even in this, if I use it this way. So what is... When, if you're a cowboy and you have boots and spurs, what's a, what does a spur do? What does it do? It makes the horse go. It makes the horse go? <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what does a spur do, though? Like, what, how does it work? It I didn't hear. Someone was... It, it pokes it. It pokes it and it hurts and it's like, whoa, I gotta go, you know, whatever. That, that wasn't very good, but anyway. So, so, but it goes, right? So the spur... Now, it's kind of weird because the context, it sounds like we should encourage each other and strengthen each other, and yet it says we got to spur each other. Listen, iron sharpens iron. Doesn't always feel good. Sometimes sparks fly. Sometimes, you know, yeah, it, it, it doesn't always feel good. And, and listen, the more accurate word, actually, and the concept here with spurring is in, in the New Testament is that it's like a goad. You know what a goad is? Same thing. It's this long, pointy stick that you poke, you prod a cattle to get it to go where you want. And it hurts. It feels it. And so we are to goad each other. Now, sorry for the graphic, but we are. We're supposed to irritate, irritate each other in a positive way. Let me explain. Let me, let me explain. This is how we irritate each other. The only way to stimulate or even to, if I said, or to irritate or to goad each other to love and good deeds is by extending love and good deeds to others. And even if it isn't reciprocated, that's not why we love and do good, to get it back. We do it because it's the right thing. And so it should reciprocate, right? And often it does, but it starts by us doing it. And someone would be like, oh, you know, and they, and they may, oh, you know, I should... They might think, and it might be like a guilt thing, and it shouldn't be, but like, oh, man, I should be nice too. Well, that's good. Maybe it should convict you, and you should be nice to people too, or you should start doing good, or you should be motivated by love and not just selfishness or whatever else might fill your life or my life, but that we would be goaded into doing this right thing so we're encouraged, and that we become everything God wants us to be because we have that confidence and the assurance to go to Him, and we do it together. You can't do it alone. And so we have to encourage one another, and we don't give up meeting together. Now, it's important, in verse 25, it says, as some are in the habit of doing. Not all. Not everybody who's in the habit. There are some people who are in the habit of not wanting anything to do with that. You know why? Because they didn't want to be goaded. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe there's other reasons. 
But for some reason, they weren't there. And maybe in the context of this, they didn't want to face persecution for hanging out with Christians who weren't doing, doing Jewish things. So, agape love is an action. And where conditions and self-seeking must characteristically be left out. You can't have that be a part and, and of the definition of agape love. Love and good deeds are contagious. Right? I mean, think about that. It's, it's contagious. Do this all the more as the day is coming. Probably the day of judgment is what it means. When we'll all face Jesus and we're going to have to answer for how we lived our lives. Whether we knew him or didn't. We should be ready for that day. And when we're encouraged, it helps us to keep our head up. Our hope is going to stay intact and strong and, and focused on the right place. And the object of our faith and hope will be the right person, Jesus. And we do it together to encourage each other so that if we're off the track, we get back on. And if we're on the track, we stay on the track of righteousness. And so we ought to make sure that we share that love, express that love, and spend time together with one another. Um, do it all the more as the day is coming. It could also mean do it all the more as the day is coming for these guys in that time, a couple thousand years ago, because that day was coming when the huge persecution would happen and they would be facing death. So be ready because you need strength and fortitude and faith to face that too. And God will help you, but encourage each other. Don't give up now. Don't go all the way to the stake or don't go all the way to whatever and say, I, I, I renounce Christ. You encourage each other. Stay in the faith. Stay on the straight and narrow. We do it together. The writer, uh, and so I'm sorry, I already said that. So we should do this all the more that the day is coming. The apostle write, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and he said that we ought to encourage each other, and he actually said encourage one another even as you are doing. It was an ongoing thing that they were encouraging each other and pushing each other on to do the right thing and to live for God in a righteous, biblical, humble, and unselfish way. As we close, I'm just going to ask a question, as we often do when we close, for us to think about. Or make a statement, actually. Maybe you've been managing your life your way. You've been thinking, you know what, I'll do X, Y, and Z, and if I come to God once a week, I'm good. If I... Come once a week to church, I'm good. If I actually pray once a year, I'm good. Or, you know what, I'll, I'll, whatever it is. You might have different things that are, that are methods or means of managing your life. Managing how you connect to God. And maybe some of those involve guilt. You know, you, 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 you only connect to God when you feel guilty. Maybe you don't connect to God because... You're full of fear. Or maybe you've been managing your relationship with God because of fear and so you don't go to him because you're afraid. And you're not ready or willing to make things right and to, to simply ask Jesus to wash you and sprinkle your conscience with his blood and make you a new creation and be a new, new, new person in Christ. Maybe you're working for it. <laughs> you're thinking that if I do enough, then I can go to God and I'll connect. Let me just tell you that if you've never asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life and you've been managing your life on your own and you think it's all good and whatever, but there's still something deep inside that's just not right, can I just invite you to ask Jesus to be Lord of your life? Because when you do that, you can hang this huge sign out front, your storefront, that says, under new management. 
And you know what? When people come to you, they'll see something better and they'll expect something better. In fact, they'll see the best. They'll see Jesus in you. Because you're under new management. Some of you today have had that sign before. But somehow, as time has gone by, you've, you've lowered that sign. You've lowered that sign. It's there, but it's barely visible. You don't really want everyone to see it. Only if they're really close, then they'll see it. Can I tell you that? There's that you would wave that banner high. So everyone knows that you're under new management, under Christ's management, not your own. It's better. It's more efficient. It's more effective. It's direct access. It's not all the hoops that you create even on your own. God wants you to start fresh and new today. Jesus is better. So this morning as I close in prayer, if you need prayer, I'll be up here. I'll be on this side if you want to pray. And if you you want to put up your business, your life, I'll call it, your business under new management, and make Jesus Lord of your life, I'd love to talk to you and pray with you. Or maybe you need to kind of raise that banner again because you've neglected that or forgotten who's the manager, who's in control, and run on your business. I want to pray with you too. And if you leave, I ask you to leave quietly, but I'll be here on this side, on the right side, you're right. And if you want prayer, I'll be here. I'd love to pray with you. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word that is powerful, that is so deep, is so rich, and sometimes so hard to articulate, Lord, just the depth and the beauty of it, Lord. It's just as people, because we're human. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take these words, and, and the actual word, but then the words I've spoken, Lord, and just really speak to hearts, Lord, today. Father, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, prompt those and draw those who are ready, Lord, to just uh, ask you to be the manager of their life, the Lord of their life. Father, I pray for those who are struggling and they're yours, but they insist on doing it their way and they struggle and they're, they're just spinning tires, so to speak, with no traction. I pray that they would submit to you and give it all up to you and start over again, Lord, today, to recommit and to raise that banner high. Lord, as we go, may we herald and just um, demonstrate your love your truth, your gospel, in everything we do and everywhere we go, Lord God, from our speech to our actions, Lord, to our attitudes. Guard us, protect us, and help us, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful day. God bless you. If you need prayer, come on up.